We are in a sermon series this summer looking at the book of wisdom in the Old Testament, Proverbs, and we are in chapter 4 this morning. So if you're not familiar with where Proverbs is, it's pretty much in the center of your Bible. If you're using a blue Bible in front of you, the page is 529. And these Proverbs were written by the wisest man in the world, the man who asked God for wisdom, Solomon, King Solomon, or most of them are written by him. And as we read through the book, it's always helpful to remember chapter 1, verse 7, which says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So in order to really live along the grain of the universe, is the way God has set up the universe to operate, you have to know God. Your soul has to be connected to God. So it all begins by understanding who God is, having a relationship with God. And it's not to say that you couldn't get some tips for living from the book of Proverbs if you didn't know God. But the the purpose of these things is to know God and then follow after him in a way that brings health to your soul. And so as we look at these things, we want to think of them uh, just as chapter 4 is going to tell us, a, a, a father giving instruction to his son. So let's stand together as we read Proverbs chapter 4, and we'll read through the whole chapter here. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and he said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commands and live. Get wisdom, get insight, and do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instructions. Do not let it go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it. Pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and they drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn. It shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like a deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence. For from it, it flows springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. You may be seated. Let's take a moment to reflect together on God's word.
After the sermon today, I'll be up front. If uh, you would like for somebody to pray for you, there's always an elder up here, but there's, we're going to cover a lot of material in this particular chapter, and I'm trusting that God's spirit is at work, and if you need somebody or help you to have somebody to pray for you, we want to we want to be available for that. My grandfather moved to Arkansas in a covered wagon. That's just hard for me to imagine. I remember when he told it to me, he said, yeah, we moved from a covered wagon. We came right up this trail. I just thought, how incredible is that? He moved in a covered wagon to Arkansas, and he settled just outside of the capital of Arkansas, Little Rock, in a small little town. And he was a farmer. He was a he owned rental property. He managed the rental property. The coolest thing was he owned a furniture store, so you got to go play in all the stuff in the furniture store as a kid. But the thing that I remember him most as, and I think what most people remember him as, is he was the county judge. Everyone I knew who knew him called him the judge. His kids called him the judge. His wife sometimes would call him the judge. Imagine the judge being your husband or the judge being your, your dad. When, when I was with him, they'd say, are you the judge's grandson? My, my grandfather was the biggest man I ever knew. He was tall, but it was mostly just who he was. You ever been around somebody and you think, this person, this personality just overwhelms everything else, and especially being related to him, he was the biggest man I ever knew. I remember looking at a black and white photo of him shaking hands with Harry Truman. One, one image, one picture stands out above all, and that is well into his 90s, every day, he would sit in the, his chair. Did his grandfather have his chair? You know, the chair nobody else sits in except for granddad. Like when he was out, I'd sit in it just to pretend like what it was like. I'm just I'm confessing that right now. Um, every day he'd sit in the chair and he'd read his Bible. Well into his 90s. Every day I was around him, he sat in his chair and he read his Bible. And that left an incredible imprint on my life. And part of that was to say the judge, the biggest man I ever knew, wasn't bigger than God. And the man who was making a bunch of important decisions needed to get wisdom from somewhere, some other source that was going to come outside of him. And the main flow of that wisdom, the main flow of that stream for him came from reading his Bible. And essentially, in Proverbs 4, we have an opportunity to learn some lessons from a grandfather. You see it just in the first four verses. Chapter, uh, verse 3, when I was a son with my father, tender, when I was young, he taught me and he said to me these words. So what we're doing here is we're eavesdropping in on a conversation. A, a, a father talking to his son, and now the son has his own son. And he's remembering what his father said or the grandfather said. And he's, he's passing it along. He's 
coaching his own son. He's, he's basically looking at his son and saying, son, I remember when my dad sat down with me and he coached me how to live. There were certain principles of how to live and he's co- he coached me and they have been a great benefit to my life. So I'm now passing them on to you. That's the context of what we're reading this morning. So as we have that context and before we get to the content, just want to make Three quick observations. First of all, some of you have the enormous benefit of living in a godly Christian generational stream. And if you do, praise God. You have a parent or grandparents or great-grandparents who have been dedicated Christians. They've been really Christ followers. And probably sometimes if you were like me, you didn't want to get up and go to church as a kid or something like that. You were frustrated by the whole Jesus thing. But praise God, that's the stream that flows into your life. That is a tremendous, tremendous benefit. Just this spring, I ran across a picture of one of my great-grandmothers who I'd never met. And it was a picture of her and then a picture of her gravestone marker. This is what it read, the marker, Alma... Lawless Phillips, 1874, that's nine years after the Civil War, to 1955. Little marker only has enough space for one phrase to describe her whole life. A dedicated Christian. I'm standing in her stream. I didn't even know her, but I'm benefiting from a stream that she probably was given and she gave on to her family. And now I'm in that stream and what a what a tremendous blessing. Second comment here. Many of you don't have the benefit of that kind of generational stream. And my encouragement to you is to lean in to Proverbs chapter four. Because here you have a father and a grandfather. They have all this collective wisdom, and they're, they're leaning over to you this morning or any time you read Proverbs chapter 4, saying, I know you didn't have the benefit of a father or a grandfather who could teach you how to live in a, in a skillful way in this life, but here it is. Here it is in black and white, Proverbs chapter 4. Here's the beginning of how you should live. And so I would want you to lean in and gain from this tremendous godly wisdom. Hebrews 13, 7 says this, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So so if you don't have a, a, a godly dad to follow after, that's one of the benefits of the church. There are are other people, men and women, that you can follow after here, and you can learn from them. You can know how to live in this life. And my third encouragement for you, if you're one of the people that doesn't have that godly generational stream, you start the stream. You you be the fountainhead for your family line. You be the person that a grandson or a great-grandson would look back at a marker and say, Paul Morgan Phillips, a dedicated Christian. And you be the person that the water begins to flow out of your life into a generation that you'll never know. But they'll have the benefit of living in a stream that you started in 2017. 
So be that person. Final comment here before I get into the content. A note to parents. Every parent is coaching their child. Every parent is coaching their child. Dads have an exaggerated influence on a child. And so when your children tell their children about you, what are they going to say? When they sit down and say, hey, I remember my dad, and when he said to me or he told me, what, what is it they're going to communicate? That he loved Christ in the church? That I remember that he sat in a special place every day and he, he read his Bible? Or would they say that your priorities were work, sports, money, status, academics? Will they say of you, my parents demonstrated love and joy and peace and patience? Or my parents demonstrated tiredness, busyness, anxiety, and anger? You are coaching your kids. And they are going to sit down at some point with a child and with their child and say, this is what I learned, good or bad, good and bad. What a challenge. But what an opportunity. What an opportunity for you to be filled up on God's word so that you can begin to live it out. And then you begin to speak it into the life of your child or the next generation. Our outline for our text this morning, three life lessons from this grandfather. Number one, what's the top priority? What should be your top priority? Grandfather is going to tell us what he thinks his top the top priority is, verses 5 through 9. Then his concern about where you walk. So he's saying, watch where you walk, 11 through 19. And then he's going to get us, give us basically some gauges to look at, like your own personal dashboard to, to sort of examine, am I walking in the right way? So what's a priority Are you watching where you walk? And then some gauges to look at. Let's take a look at those in turn. Your top priority. I love verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. (laughs) I mean, whatever you do, get wisdom. The beginning of being smart is just getting smarter. Love how he says that. In the message... A different translation, it says this, sell everything and buy wisdom. Don't forget one word. Don't deviate an inch. Never walk away from wisdom because she guards your life. Love her. She keeps her eye on you. Verse 7, above all and before all, do this, get wisdom. Write this at the top of your list. Get understanding. The grandfather couldn't be any more clear that his top priority for his son is just to gain as much wisdom as you possibly can. That's the top priority, to to understand who God is, to understand his word, to make his word a delight to your soul, to to live it out, get wisdom. That's, That's the main thing because when you get out into the world, there's going to be all kinds of competitors to that. And I want you to make sure that you're always gaining in godly wisdom. Now, now notice with me, verses 5, 6, and 7, the word get. 
is used five times. Get wisdom. Get insight. Whatever you get, get insight. The Hebrew word is to purchase or buy. So the grandfather is saying, if you're going to get this kind of wisdom, it's going to cost you something. Nobody just wanders into wisdom. How did you become so wise? I don't know. I mean, I'm wandering around. I came wise. I mean, nobody says that. I just didn't wander into it. It cost me something. I had to go after it in some way. I had to make a sacrifice to get it. I'm going to have to shell something out in order to purchase it. And it reminds me of the words of the Apostle Paul to his young disciple, Timothy. He says this, train yourself to be godly. See, Paul understands the same idea. If you want to become godly, if you want to become wise, what do you have to do? You have to train yourself. It just doesn't happen automatically. And then he gives us three different pictures in case you can't get the vocabulary. He says it's like being a soldier. It's like being an athlete. It's like being a farmer. If you're going to train yourself, it's going to be something like being a soldier. It's going to be something like being an athlete. It's going to be something like being a farmer. Now consider each one of those pictures. Each one of those occupations pays a significant price to be that. You, you have to get up early. You know, you, you do more before 9 o'clock in the morning than most people do in their whole day. Isn't that the, the Army logo? You, you have to get up. You have to train. You have to do something as an athlete. If you're a farmer, you're always up early. You're always tending to something else. You have, to, you have to get up before most people are, are even awake. And one of the main disciplines that each one of these people have to learn is they have to learn how to say this very difficult word, no. Now you say it with me. No. See, it's not that hard to say, is it? No. You put your tongue on the top of the roof of your mouth. No. Oh, but so hard to do. My alarm clock goes off. No, no, I don't want to get up. My whole body reacts to it. You have to learn how to say no. You go by the Krispy Kreme and the hot donut sign is on. <laughs> Brits opens up and you have to say no, no, I've got to I've got to learn how to say no. I have a lot of appetites for things, but if you want to get wisdom, it's going to cost you something and you're going to have to learn how to say no. My guess is most of us here would really love to be wise. We would really love to be wise to help ourselves live well and we want to help other people. We genuinely want to help other people learn how to live well. But we can't say no to our appetites. We cannot say no to our cell phone. I cannot get off my cell phone. I can't say no to this text. I can't say to this no to this Instagram. I can't say no to this Facebook post. I can't say no to it. And I've seen every stupid cat video there is. And I am full of trivial things, and I've never cultivated my own soul. 
And so when somebody comes and they desperately need wisdom, all I can give them is a cat video. Because that's all I have. Why? I didn't say no. I'm not like the hardworking farmer. I'm not like the athlete. I'm not like a soldier. My body, my desires overwhelm me, and I can't say no. And the grandfather wants to look at his son and his grandson and say, if you really want wisdom, it's going to cost you something. Another kind of cost is that when you read through Proverbs, it's going to cost you some of your personal treasured beliefs or habits. You and I have certain pieces of information we hold up as truth. It's always the way I've thought about it. It's the way my parents told me. It's just the way things are done in business in the year 2017. There are just certain things that you hold on to. And some of your beliefs will need to be left on the roadside if you read through Proverbs. How you handle money, especially debt. Some of your beliefs about that are going to have to sit on the roadside. How you handle your emotions or guard your tongue. How you raise your children. How you're used to leaning on your own understanding. The value and time and expense you spend on trying to be beautiful. See, there's a lot of things, a lot of beliefs that you hold on to that if you read through Proverbs and you hold on to what this has to say, those beliefs have to be jettisoned. So if you want to get wisdom, it's going to cost you some of your long-held and treasured beliefs. So you might ask yourself just at this point, just how open am I to having God's wisdom challenge my cherished beliefs? Just how open am I? I mean, if I'm going to try to read through Proverbs one chapter every day for the month, for three months, and I come across something about money or my tongue or my kids or beauty that's deceptive, how willing am I, am I to, to let go of some of those cherished beliefs? You know what I find out? A lot of people aren't very willing to let go. They say, well, yeah, but, and then really what they mean is, yeah, but I'm not going to let go. I talk to a lot of people that say, well, I guess that's right, but I'm I'm just, I'm not prepared to let go. That cherished belief. Second thing, so the first first is a priority. You got it before, above all, you've got to get wisdom. He's talking specifically about the wisdom in the Bible, the wisdom of God. Secondly, you've got to watch where you walk, verses 11 through 19. Notice how many of the words are connected. I'll just look through this. The way. So many words are connected to walking, the way, the paths, your step, run, the path, walk in the way, pass on. You know, walking's a popular biblical metaphor Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not, what, walk in the way of the wicked. So two observations here, verses 11 and 12. Verse 11, I've taught you the way of wisdom. I've led you up the paths of righteousness so that when you walk, your step will not be hampered. 
And if you run, you will not stumble. In other words, the grandfather is saying, saying, I've taught you this way. If you hold on to this way, then when you run, when you go through your life's journey, you're not going to stumble. It, what he's trying to say is when you, when you put sin and foolishness in your journey, you're going to stumble over those things. It's going to cause you to have a more difficult life journey. Don't, don't go after foolishness. Go, don't, don't, don't entertain sin because they become stumbling blocks. How many of us could tell a story of a time we put a stumbling block in our own path? And we'd say, if I just hadn't made that choice, if I hadn't said that word, if I hadn't decided to go that way, I put the stumbling block in my own path, and now it's hurting my life. Proverbs 14, chapter 1, such a painful verse. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish woman tears hers down with her own hands. How many of us have had something precious, something worthwhile, but because of our own foolishness, because of our own lack of self-control, our own inability to guard our mouths, we've torn down the precious thing with our own hands. And the grandfather is saying, don't be so foolish. Life is difficult. It's going to try to put stumbling blocks in your, in your journey, life journey. Don't you add to it. Reminds me of Hebrews 12 where the writer says, Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out before us. And then what does it say? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. If you have your eyes fixed on Jesus, if they're straight ahead towards Jesus, then you're not going to be taking these foolish, sinful things and filling up your path. Now, then notice he goes on to a warning, verse 14 through 17. And this sort of feels like when you come up to the railroad tracks, you know, and the train's going to come across, what happens? The bar goes down, the siren goes off, the lights start blinking, and you know, hey, I don't want to get T-boned by a locomotive, so I've got to stop here. And this is exactly what he's trying to do. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk. Avoid it. Turn away. Pass on. I mean, the grandfather is just doing this. Don't go down that. I mean, he's just standing there. Don't Please, whatever you do, don't go down that path. Now, why, why all these warnings about the way of the wicked? Why, why is he so animated about not having his son and his grandson take that path? And this, this is the part, if you're in high school, or middle school, Jack and Jenna, you're my guinea pigs, my niece and nephew. If you haven't paid attention, just pay attention to this part right here. This is tremendous insight from the grandfather on how the human body and emotions operate. What he knows, and he's going to tell us, is that foolishness and sin is highly addictive. And you think you can just take one step on the path, but you can't. 
That's why he's saying don't take any step. Pass on. Avoid it. Walk away. Do, do whatever you can. Don't go down this path because one experience, one experiment can very quickly engulf your entire existence. Look at verse 16 and 17. You can't sleep without it. I can't go to sleep unless I do this thing. And when you wake up, you, you've got to consume it like food and drink. It's, it's what's fueling your life. And, of course, we know the culprits, money, alcohol, pride, anger, lust, laziness, food, your opinions, your appearance. Whatever it is, the grandfather knows these things take the place of God and they're highly addictive. And the grandfather knows something very wise, a very small amount, amount of evil. Listen carefully. A very small amount of evil. The amount that you can tolerate and still believe you're a good person. You know what I'm talking about? Well, I mean, I just cheated on a test. It's not like it's a big deal. I mean, I didn't hurt anybody. Nobody knows. I, I probably would have gotten a B. This is just going to an A. I mean, my taxes, it's just, you know, a few hundred dollars. Nobody's going to really know it. I work hard. I just deserve a few minutes of pleasure at my computer screen. He knows a small amount of evil that you can let into your soul and say stupidly to your soul, but I'm still a good person. That amount can crush your soul. And so he's standing there saying, even the smallest amount, the amount that you can take in and think, I'm still basically a good person, that can crush your soul. So he's not trying to play games here. A little lie, a little lust, a little anger becomes addictive. And it quickly can blow up into a fire and consume your life. Jesus says the same thing in John 8. I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. It is enslaving. And in the beginning, you believe you have your drinking under control. But you don't. You don't. It's just about ready to consume your whole life. Get to this point and you ask, well, is there any hope for people who are trapped in slavery? And the answer, oh, yes. Yes, there are. Is there any hope for people who are dead in their sins? Oh, yes, there is. Romans chapter 6. Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly trusted in the gospel. And you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. See, Jesus comes into your heart and he takes out that heart of stone and he gives you his heart. And then you begin to walk out your life in a different way, in a different path, because by grace you have been saved. Reminds me of the Charles Wesley hymn, And Can It Be? Listen again afresh to the words, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye, God's eye, diffused, it dispersed 
a quickening ray, a ray that, that infused my soul. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. And then what does he say? My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. After he did something in my life, I could walk in a different way. So there is hope. So the first priority, get wisdom. It, it, even it costs you everything you have, get wisdom. It's more valuable than anything else. Secondly, watch where you're walking. And then third, there's some, some gauges, some personal dashboards. And these, each of these could be a sermon. I just want to look at them, and you take a look at your soul as we do. First, verse 20, incline your ear. Look, first, let's look back down to 27, the very end. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. How do I know if I'm swerving to the right or the left? I think he goes back and answers it with these verses. First of all, incline your ear. The, the grandfather knows words enter your mind and shape your soul. So, so who has your ear? Whose word holds sway over your life, if you're a middle school student or a high school student, and your, your parents bug you about, who are your friends? Why? Why did they do that? They know you're listening to your friends. They know your friends have the power to shape your soul. And they want to make sure those friends are saying the right things. Or if they're saying the wrong things, they're interjecting the truth. There's your friend saying, go down this path, and I'm standing there saying, that's a terrible path. Don't go down that way because what you hear becomes part of your soul. And if you don't have a filter for what you hear, you're in trouble. Secondly, keep your heart with all vigilance. First gauge, I'm inclining my ear. Secondly, I'm keeping my heart. First the NIV says it better. Above all else, guard your heart. I'm wondering if you are a good guard for your heart this morning. I cannot guard your heart. Your husband cannot guard your heart. Your parent cannot guard your heart. Your boss cannot guard your heart. You have to guard your heart. That's your lifelong assignment, and I'm wondering if you're a good guard. Or do you let trash come in anytime? Your heart is a spring. And what your heart has spills out into every area of your life. So the grandfather saying, oh, keep your heart. It's a wellspring. Well, how do we know what's in our heart? Jesus answers. How do you know what's in a man's heart? What does he say? It comes out of his mouth. Oh, you can tell what's in your heart. It's going to come out of your mouth. Luke 6, 45. The mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. You ever just say, I'm, I didn't mean to say that? You say something, oh, I didn't mean to say it. No, you meant to say it. You just didn't want to say it out loud. It was in your heart. You just couldn't close the cage before it got out. Are you a good gatekeeper of your heart? Finally, another gauge. Are you inclining your ear? Are you guarding your heart? 
Final gauge. Let your eyes look directly forward. As, Paul, as Hebrew says, keep your eyes on Jesus. How do you know if you're swerving? My eyes aren't on the Lord anymore. What, what do you put before your eyes? I mean, we're just a screen-oriented society now. What, what's on the screen? What are you putting before your eyes? One very sobering statistic. I read a blog post dealing with internet pornography. And the name of the, the website, which, all, which dealt all about that topic, was fighting the new drug. Isn't that interesting? Why? It's highly addictive. It's like a drug. And it did statistics on one website for a year. This isn't all internet websites, just one. A popular one, but just one. Listen. In 2016, 64 million visits every day. 92 billion videos watched. That's 12 videos for every person on the planet. 4.6 billion hours watched. One year, one website. That equals to 5,246 centuries. It's staggering the damage that does to a soul. One man said, I can't look at women anymore without thinking of them as objects. And we live in that. We're always got our face in front of a screen and the grandfather saying, it's fine that something's in front of your face. What is it? Are you guarding your soul by what comes in your ears and what comes through your eyes? Are you a good guard? Final thought here, verse 26. Ponder the path of your feet. So here's my hope today. This is a lot of content. And I feel like each one of these points could have, you know, sort of unfolded into another sermon. And I kept asking questions of myself, thinking I should answer this question. I have time to answer all these questions. But ponder, please do me a favor. Proverbs 4, just reread it today. Just go back and ask yourself, Lord, just what, what I want to be a good guard for my soul. And everything Paul said may not apply to me, but I want to, I want to hear what you want to apply to my soul. What is it? What is it for me? What is it for my family? If you, if you just need encouragement, you need help, we want to pray for you before you leave. But let me pray now, and then we'll stand and sing our closing song. Heavenly Father, you are, you are so generous with your wisdom. You just pour it out. It just keeps coming to people who are in a dry and thirsty place. And, and I don't know how you have used Proverbs 4 and this wisdom from a grandfather from 3,000 years ago to penetrate a heart today. It might have to do with money, power, foolishness, lusts, anger. 
general self-centeredness, trusting in our own understanding rather than leaning on yours. I don't know. But I pray, Lord, that you would take this wisdom and would you transform a heart? Would, you, would it start with the gospel? Would you set hearts free from this sin?